Hi, I'm John Anderson. You're listening to On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you so much for hopping aboard for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 340 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, John Amos is going to be joining us. You remember him as Gordy Howe on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Kunta Kinte on Roots, and James Evans on Good Times, Fitz Wallace on The West Wing, and so many other roles that he's done. Not too long ago, he was on Two and a Half Men, where he was uh, in a role that just cracked you up. And we're going to talk about that and so much more right here with John Amos on On Screen and Beyond. That's coming up in a few minutes. And we've got all kinds of things coming your way. A lot of uh, interesting remakes coming our way and sequels and everything else. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, be sure to send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And I will see what I can do about getting that person on for you. If you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. And it's just so nice to hear uh, people send emails and, you know, I like reading them over, finding out where you're from and everything else. I really appreciate it and all the nice comments that we get. And whether you're working out listening to this show or you're driving down the road for uh, work or whatever, I hope you're going to join us next week and every week following because we've got a lot of great guests coming your way. And if you're new to On Screen and Beyond, go to onscreenandbeyond.com and be sure to check out our rerun section because in there you're going to find all 340 episodes with some wonderful guests and it's just so much fun to hear these people talk about their lives and their careers and everything else and don't forget if you are in the san francisco bay area on saturday mornings at about uh, about 8 15 you can catch me there i uh, do a little little thing with the real to real crew and that's on k-e-s-t-a-m and uh, be sure to check it out. All right, what do you say? Let's get into it. It's time for Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. It looks like the remake of Stephen King's The Stand that we've talked about before is moving along. And what was originally to be a three-hour movie now looks to be four movies, so a series of them. Josh Boone will be directing, and Boone, of course, gave us The Fault in Our Stars most recently. We'll see what he does with that. And Pete's Dragon, the remake that uh, we've talked about before, is also still casting. And it looks like Bryce Dallas Howard, who is Ron Howard's daughter, is in talks to play the female lead in the film. And Robert Redford is also in talks to play a role in that movie. And a remake of the King Arthur story with Guy Ritchie at the helm is in the works. Knights of the Round Table will hit theaters on July 22nd. 2016. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies? Upcoming new movies, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan will team up once again next year for a December 31st release called Ithaca. It's about a 14-year-old boy who wants to be the best and fastest bicycle telegraph messenger, and Meg will also be directing that film. 
And 2016 will also bring us the fifth wave. It's starring Chloe Grace Mortez. And as she's going to be in a world that has been knocked back to the Stone Age after a series of alien invasions. And Shangri-La Suite comes our way in 2015 as two mental hospital patients fall in love and then set out to fulfill the guy's destiny, so he thinks, and that is to kill Elvis. Elvis will be played by Ron Livingston. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away as far as sequels down at Sequel City. Rumors are out and spurred on by Arnold Schwarzenegger himself that a Running Man 2 film could be in the works. And Arnold also says The Legend of Conan is in development and that he has been asked back after all these years. And a Dumb and Dumber 3 sequel is being bounced around. Not surprising. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, TV on DVD. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV on DVD December 9th, In Search of Aliens, Season 1, will arrive on DVD in a three-disc set. Also on December 9th, Power Rangers Super Megaforce Volume 1, Earth Fights Back, will fight its way onto DVD. And on February 17th, Game of Thrones, the complete fourth season, will hit stores. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Movies on DVD. January 13th, you can look for The Identical with Ray Liotta, Ashley Judd, and Seth Green to arrive on Blu-ray, digital, and video on demand. And a Blu-ray release of 1989's My Left Foot, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, will arrive. And January 27th, Big Driver, based on the Stephen King novel, will hit stores starring Maria Bello and Olympia Dukakis. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, look for James Franco and Amy Adams to host Saturday Night Live in December. And on December 6th, look for Franco. The 20th, look for Adams. And look for The Little Mermaid's Ursula to show up on Once Upon a Time on TV. And the final season of Parks and Recreation will bring back some familiar faces, including Rob Lowe, Rashida Jones, and John Hamm will all be scheduled to return. That's it for TV time. Next on On Screen to Be On, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity Birthdays on November 23rd, Miley Cyrus turns 21. November 24th, it looks like Catherine Hagel turns 35. Former Beatle Pete Best will turn 72 November 25th. It looks like uh, Christina Applegate turns 42. Ben Stein, 
can win his money. He turned 69. John Larroquette turned 66. And on November 26th, Tina Turner turned 74. Rich Little, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, turned 75. November 27th, Bill Nye, the science guy, turns 58. Curtis Armstrong, he was Booger on Revenge of the Nerds, turns 60. November 28th, John Stewart turns 51. Ed Harris turns 63. And on November 29th, Howie Mandel turns 58. Ben Scully turns 86. And Kim Delaney turns 52. That is it for celebrity birthdays. And as far as listener birthdays, November 25th, Russell T. from Dayton, Ohio, will turn 43. November 28th, it looks like uh, Sean P. from Allentown, Pennsylvania, turns 62. That is it. If you would like to have your birthday or a friend's birthday or a relative's birthday said right here so all the listeners on screen and beyond can uh, celebrate with them, just email the information to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I will get that on for you. Happy birthday to all those people here from On Screen and Beyond. That is it. It is time now for our interview with the man himself, John Amos from Good Times, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Roots, so many more shows and just so many movies and everything else. He's next. John Amos right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor who has portrayed many memorable roles, including Gordy Howard on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Kunta Kinte on Roots, James Evans on Good Times, Percy Fitzwallace on The West Wing, and so many other roles. It's John Amos. John, it is a pleasure to have you here at On Screen and Beyond. Well, thank you so much for the invite. John, you've had so many big shows in your career. A lot of actors don't get that. But you've had that opportunity to, to do a lot of roles that have been extended for quite a few seasons. It must be a thrill to be able to have a career like that. It's a thrill just to be able to feed yourself in this business. <laughs> <laughs> and the more time goes by, the more grateful I am for uh, the actors that I worked with early on in my career. That I learned a little bit from each of them, and one of my idols was, of course, uh, Sidney Poitier, and uh, another one of my idols who I tried to I tried to uh, emulate his versatility was Ernest Borgnine. Um, yes. I remember doing a scene with Ernest after I had already done Roots. We were working on a show called Future Cop, a series, and Ernie and I were working together, and then I did Roots, and I came back to that show and I asked him pointed I said Ernie you've had success with comedy and drama uh, I mean probably one of the most diversified actors I've ever seen he won the Academy Award for Marty a sympathetic character played a dirty bad guy in uh, Bad Day at Black Rock and um, uh, The Wild Bunch one of my favorite classic westerns of all time he said what's it? I said should I after I've got this uh, roots behind me, you think I would just concentrate on serious stuff or comedy? And he said, kid, if it feels too good to you, do it. Because uh, 10 years from now, nobody's going to know or care what you did. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, I mean, he had a very pragmatic approach towards this industry. He said, as long as you check, don't bounce. But, of course, uh, he, he was being over-simplistic with that. Ernie Bergnine was one of the most versatile uh, actors that has ever graced a stage or a TV screen or a movie screen. He, he was just, just a wonderful actor to work with, and he enjoyed life. And that's the other part of it, to enjoy the process, because it could all be over in the twinkling of an eye. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned Sidney Poitier uh, was one of your idols. Did you ever get a chance to work with him, or have you had a chance to work with him, I should say? Yes, I did, and that was when I really gained a greater appreciation for his place as an icon in American, in fact, in worldwide uh, cinema. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the movie we did was a, it was a, a wonderful comedy uh, called um, Let's Do It Again. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, he, Bill Cosby, also starred in the movie, and in fact, I think it was the first film that Jimmy Walker, uh, as Kid Dynamite, ever was in. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was a, a comedy that's still well-received today and still works today. No gratuitous violence, no gratuitous profanity or, or sexuality. It was just a good old-fashioned comedy, and it worked. Oh, yeah. Now, was acting what you wanted to do from a young age, or is it something that just developed over the years? Well, whether I wanted to or not, I mean, I never set my goals. Uh, I never laid in bed at night and said, boy, one day I'm going to be an actor. Um, I always had confidence in my ability to write. Uh, I worked on the high school newspaper when I was in high school in East Orange, New Jersey. Of course, in those days, uh, the budgets weren't cut so drastically. You could have programs like music, instrumentation. I mean, when kids learn to play an instrument from scratch mm-hmm. and learn how to read music, I was involved in that for a while. And then when the opportunity presented itself, uh, I got involved in high school plays, and that's when I got the, uh, the feeling that I could, it would be fun to do it. But I never thought, with the exception of seeing Sidney Poitier, I never thought there'd be a place for me in the uh, movie industry. I never really believed in it to the degree that I said, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. That, that didn't happen for many, many years. Yeah. Now, you actually were... Um taken in uh, by the Denver Broncos, right? You were going to be a football player. Well, not taken in so much as... <laughs> I never really been expecting taken in. I was like almost some kind of orphan sheep or something. Right, yeah. The bottom, uh, the bottom line is I, I uh, had signed a free agent contract with the Broncos. Uh, nothing was committed, nothing was promised, nothing was given. And they received nothing, which is why they cut me in 24 hours. The primary reason being that I pulled a hamstring before I went to training camp. And the first day of training camp, you're required to run a 40-yard dash so that they can determine how fast you are, uh-huh. if there's any future in the And I couldn't run. I couldn't. I could barely walk. So here's a guy that asked for a tryout, and he can't walk. So what do you do? You, you, you get him off the roster. We can't spend any more time, attention or food on this guy. Uh, so the bottom line was, I, the next day I was, after when they realized I couldn't run, I couldn't run the 40, they released me within 24 hours. And um, football was a love for me, but it was never to work out for me, as I found out after being cut from 13 teams, 
including the Kansas City Chiefs twice. Wow. Uh, but after all these years, I still love football, and my relationship with the Chiefs is still intact. I'm the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs kingdom, their fan base. And uh, it calls for me to do radio spots for the Chiefs and every once in a while to do a, 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 an appearance, and I love that. So it's like I made the team after all these years. Right. <laughs> So if you had a, a, a chance to be on any team uh, back then, w- was who would have been your choice? Kansas City. Really? Doubt. Yeah. Uh, why? Be, well, they were winners and the coach. The coach is what attracts a great many players to different schools when they're in high school and they, they're, they're being offered various scholarships to various universities and colleges. Um, the, the winning tradition which is much easier for a school with a winning tradition to get the best, the cream of the crop players. And uh, it was just it was just a magical place to be at that time. Mm. I'd never been in Kansas City before, and when I wrote them and asked for a tryout, they told me what day to report. I was there on time, and it was an incredible experience, a humbling experience, because I was competing at least I thought I was competing uh, for a job with some of the most superlative athletes on the planet. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, they, Kansas City at that time had the biggest team in all of football, pound for pound. That's including any team in the National or the Canadian League, as well as obviously all college teams. The biggest collection of individuals of, in, of gigantic, formidable size that had ever been assembled. There's never been a team that big that before that fast. So they proved it when they won the Super Bowl. So what was the first TV show or movie that you were in? Do you remember that? Do you remember that first that first exciting moment when, <laughs> when you were on TV? Actually, it happened uh, the first time I ever saw my image on TV. Um, I guess I was about 10 or 11 years old, and... There was a program on TV at the time called Small Fry Club. And uh, they used to roam around the different neighborhoods in Newark with, or, or in Jersey, all over the state, with a, um, a camera. And there was a little, the, the star of the show was a little frog named uh, Froggy. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, that was a first, anyway, they had a roving camera capture a sports, or rather a, a pet show given at Elwood Park in East Orange, New Jersey, and what you did was you brought your pet down. And I remember bringing my dog down. I had a cocker spaniel named Chico. And uh, we, they took our... Uh, I, I didn't know they were from. I had never seen a movie camera before until weeks later, someone called and said, Hey, I, uh, she told my mo- they told my mother, uh, Miss Pat, we saw your son on... Uh, TV, he was uh, there with his dog at Bedford, I mean, at Elmwood Park. And that was the first time I'd ever been on television. But as a professional, uh, it would be many, many, many years later that I would see myself performing on television as a result of having become a professional actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, I can remember you, uh, of course, on Love American Style. I remember seeing you there. But one of the, the favorite things I remember you from in your early career was the movie that you played Coach Sam Archer in The World's Greatest Athlete. Yeah, that was a lot of fun because I got to work with one of my favorite 
comedians of all time, Kim Conway. Mm. In fact, Kim almost got me fired from the movie because he had me laughing so hard <laughs> during some of the takes that the director got frustrated. He said, come on, guys, give me a break. I mean, he, he was a wonderful director. He was very, very patient. And Kim, once he gets you going, he's one of those comics who <laughs> you can't let up. I mean, he wants to maybe you fall down on the floor with water running out of your eyes before he leave you alone. And I, I was trying to maintain this facade of seriousness as Coach Alfred, you know, and he would sneak into the scene and do something crazy and uh, just blow me away. I'd, I'd, I'd fall out. One of the world's funniest men organically. Yeah, I'm sure it must have been a, a, a really a riot on that set. That's for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Now, of course, we all remember you for uh, good times. And uh, mm -hmm. how did you get that part on that on that show? I auditioned for it for Miss Miss Rowe. Esther Rowe was originally offered her own show, and. Uh, Norman Lear, of course, was the producer and produced innumerable at that time, at least a half a dozen other very successful sitcoms, or would go on to produce that many. Uh, I got a call from my agent that said, Norman is producing a new show, and uh, it's a family sitcom, and Esther Rowe would like you to come in and read for the part of her husband, which was literally an audition. And so I went to uh, the studio where Mr. Uh, the CBS studio where uh, Miss Roll and Norman Lear were, had set up their offices, and I read for uh, the part of James Evans. And Miss Roll, when I completed the reading, turned to Norman Lear and said, "He'll do just fine." And thus, I became uh, JJ's daddy on Good Times. And the primary reason that she was auditioning actors is that Miss Roll, having been offered the show on her own as the head of the family, said, "No, I don't want another matriarchal." family, another black matriarchal family. I want a husband. I want a man in my family. And so uh, I was given the opportunity to read and by the grace of God I was fortunate enough to get the role. Yeah. yeah. Now, right after you left that show, though, you, you were on Roots. Now, Roots, let's face it, that is, that's epic TV right there. Were they looking for you for that role specifically or did you have to uh, you know audition for it? As I remember, I uh, was sent a copy of the script. My agent notified me that um, uh, David Walter was producing the series, and of course his name was synonymous with the very, very best in television in those years. Right. Uh, he was responsible for so many wonderful hours of programming. that Anybody would respond to the David Walter project, so the bottom line is they sent me a copy of a, or they sent me the script, or what we call the sides, at least one one or two scenes with the character that they had me in mind for, and they, my agent called and said, "Did you read it?" And I said, "Yeah, it's wonderful." And he said, "Will you do it?" And I said, "Absolutely." And he called me back the next day and he said, "Now forget about that." And I said, "Well, I knew it was too good to be true." He said, "No, no, 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 no. It's not that they don't want you. They want you to read for another part." And so he sent me the size of for another character. And out of respect for those actors that went on to portray those characters, I won't uh, allude to what it was, the other roles, but suffice it to say, all the time I'm reading that character, I'm thinking about this character that is now being mentioned in the dialogue uh, almost inextricably. He's, he's wound all the way through it, is uh, Kunta Kinte. And I said, wow, mm -hmm. 
man, whoever gets that is really going to have a, a tremendous opportunity. And as fate would have it, they said, uh, my agent called and said, he wants you to come in and read for the role of Quinta Kente. And I've, I was blown away. So I, I had developed the accent that I, would, I, I felt confident in using as a result of having lived in Liberia, West Africa, for months at a time, several times during the course of my regular life, just doing my own personal research into my family history and my, my uh, uh, history as, as an African-American. I decided the best way uh, to find out the reality of it would be to go to Africa and live there, and I did, and as fate would have it, I used that accent in the role of Kunta Kente, and uh, the nomination that followed was, uh, was, was a wonderful feeling. I can imagine that's. I mean, that's. It was such a great, great miniseries. It's uh, you know they don't they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> no, they don't make too many miniseries anymore. I think it's because audiences have so many channels to choose from that it's hard to uh, create something that sustains that audience's attention over the course of uh, the run of a miniseries. But I've been very fortunate in having worked for some of the very, very best producer slash writers in the industry. Uh, going back to the Mary Callan Moore show, which was a yardstick by which all sitcoms prior to and since then have been held. And the proof of the quality of that show is that everybody on that cat in that cast rather, uh, ultimately spun off into their own show. Right. Everyone. Every single character in that show. So when you've got an ensemble of actors like that and incredible producers like Alan Burns and Jim Brooks. Jim Brooks, of course, went on to uh, incredible success as a film producer with uh, uh, having won the Academy Award for that. And then the the, uh, the Simpsons has become part of Americana, part of television lore, and he's responsible for that. So we have Alan Burns, Jim Brooks, and uh, Grant Tinker is, is a co-exec producer, uh, Mary's husband, and he... There was just good taste all the way around. I mean, you could pull in the episode of that show, and you'll never, ever be embarrassed to watch an episode with your children or with your grandparents. It was that kind of a show. Right. Extremely well-written, well-cast, well-produced. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I skipped over the Mary Tyler Moore show on purpose uh, because I wanted to talk a little bit more about it. But you were on what? Maybe, was it 13, 15 shows or something like that, episodes? I can't recall how many episodes I did. I'm not being cavalier about my relationship with him. I literally do not recall. I just know that every time it was a wonderful experience. And there was no ongoing commitment to give me so many shows a year. It was really, I had to make the team every time I did a show. Every, every episode I did would be an indication as to whether or not they would have me back. And sl- slowly over time, over the course of however many episodes I did do, they increased the role of Gordy. And in fact, when I was offered the role of, uh, of James Evans on Good Times, it was while I was working on the Mary Tyler Moore show. 
And by then, Gordy, the weatherman, had a last name, and, and there was talk about introducing his family, which never happened. Mm-hmm. But it was a wonderful experience, yeah. a wonderfully written character, um, and just a wonderful ensemble to be a part of. You were so much part of the family, being with the character, how they wrote it, and how you acted it. It just seems like, it seems like you were on a lot more episodes than you were. <laughs> Well, that's a good thing. I mean, because Lord knows it was wonderful exposure. It was the first national exposure I'd ever gotten as a recurring character. And I liked that because I didn't have to carry an inordinate amount of dialogue. I, all I had to do was, I was like a, a special teams player. I come in and do what I got to do, return a couple of punts, you know, or come in for past Russian assignment, and that would be it. And, and it worked. Oh, yeah. It was a, a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we've had we had a couple of people from the from the Mary Tyler Moore show on the on our show here. Uh, Ed Asner's been on before, and uh, a wonderful actor. Let me say this about Ed: he is another example of a versatile actor. Remember that Ed not only did wonderful comedies, a stern, gruff boss with a heart of gold, but he was also the ship captain in Roots, who was played yes. by what he had done as a ship's captain, and and oh, he's just a marvelous actor. I've worked with him a couple of times throughout my career, and he's always consistently the consummate professional, an extremely talented man, and a lovable. He presents that, that facade of a big ogre or a bear, but he's a, he's a wonderfully gentle person and a tremendous actor. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. It, there's so many other shows that you've been in in films and everything, but I, I just want to touch on, on one or two more here. Uh, now, the, the, one of the most recent ones that, that you've been on was Two and a Half Men. And, and, oh, yeah, I loved that. I enjoyed that. <laughs> that was such a riot. <laughs> yeah, I got to work with Stacey Keach, mm-hmm. who is an incredibly gifted actor. And uh, I always, I've always contended that I do a, a scene, I'm no better in that scene than the actor I'm working opposite. And Stacey and I, we... we I mean, we both realized that this was going to be some of the funniest stuff that we'd ever done. It was brilliant casting by uh, the casting director of the, of the Two and a Half Men series uh, because you've got two uh, guys that are perceived primarily for being, you know, father figures or macho men. Right. And here we are, uh, homosexual or gay lovers, and it just, the cameraman couldn't keep a straight face. I mean, they were falling out. <laughs> Just the lines, and we delivered the lines just the way uh, the producer and the directors wanted them. Uh, not flamboyantly, but just as too, you know, just straight. Right. And it worked. I mean, the, the cast even was cracking up. I remember Conchata Fowl, who plays the maid, uh, the cleanup lady on, uh, you know, for Charlie Sheen and, and his family. Um, she said, boy, that's a series if I ever saw one. Well, they never called us back again. And perhaps it's just as well because Stacy had gone on to uh, do a great many other things, and he had, he had a commitment to do a Broadway run, and I had some other projects that were working. But I would have loved to have done it as long as we didn't just dwell on that aspect of it, but uh, just uh, continued with the character's design that, uh, in that initial episode that had people screaming. Mm-hmm. So I think we did do two episodes and then, of course, uh, the stuff hit the fan over there at the good at the uh, uh, two and a half men when Charlie left. Right. So that was our string to the show. You know, I was uh, he was Charlie's uh, father-in-law to be, and I was his best 
that that guy's best buddy. So our connection to the nuclear cast was over, and that was the end of our relationship yeah. with two and a half men. Yeah. But you guys did such a great job because I mean we're so used to seeing both you and Stacy Keach in roles that are you know, like you say the macho man and and here you are and and you weren't doing it out you know flamboyant or anything like that you were just doing it so straight and it was just a riot because you guys <laughs> one time i remember you came out with a i don't know you had a something wrapped around your head <laughs> you know from you'd been in the shower or something oh, yeah, like that. Cool. The dialogue was something to the effect of oh he just wants me to look beautiful or something like that. <laughs> But you know, really close was stretching the imagination and suspending disbelief that I could look beautiful. But it, it was all in the context of good, clean fun. Yeah. And that we didn't uh, point anybody out or cast aspersions on any right. sexual orientation or anything like that. It was just good. I thought it was brilliant casting and brilliant writing to play against type. And to this day, every time I see Stacy, we both break up laughing. I'm sure. <laughs> Now, another, you know, you, you've done so many comedies and everything, but uh, you did Roots, of course, which was very dramatic, and then you did West Wing, which uh, which was another great show. Well, it goes back to the writing. You go back to the writing on Roots, which came out of an international bestseller by Alex Haley, and you look at um, uh, everything else I've done, the source of the material. Uh, in the case of Roots, it was Alex Haley, and then in the case of... Uh, the, the uh, sitcoms that I've been involved with, Norman Lear. I mean, just I've had the privilege and, and uh, been fortunate enough to work with some of the best creative minds in the industry who put the words on paper. Mm-hmm. Because it all starts with the writing. If the script's not there, on, if the words aren't there on paper, it's not going to be there when you shoot the movie or the TV show either. Right. And I think that's reflected in the lack of quality in so many movies and so many. TV programs today, one is indistinguishable from the other because the writers haven't honed their craft. So when you get a project like The West Wing and a writer like Aaron Sorkin, a writer producer like Aaron Sorkin, my goodness, it's like finding uh, gold. Uh, that There's a reason his show rose to the top. It's the most politically astute show that was on television at the time. Right. No one had tried it with that degree of quality. I mean, Martin Sheen, the late John Spencer, all the other wonderful, wonderful actors, and that writing was just off the chain. It's always a blessing to get that role as Admiral Percy Fitzwallace. I've always had an affinity for uh, military in real life and for the military in uh, motion pictures anyway. I'm a great supporter of veterans. Uh, my dad was a vet, and I had been a member of the New Jersey State National Guard as a much younger man. I made many, many visits to Walter Reed Hospital to see the true warriors and the true uh, defenders of this country. And uh, I have nothing but respect for uh, the men and the women who have served and made tremendous sacrifices. And if that sounds corny, then you just have to put up with it, uh, you know, because that's the way I feel. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 Now, now this is a, this is always a bad question here, but I'm going to ask you anyways. <laughs> oh, okay, bad question, man. <laughs> of all the films, movies, and TV shows that you've been in, uh, you know, and it's it's tough because there's so many great ones there. But is there any particular one that's that's fondest to your heart? Yes, uh, I'd have to say uh, Percy Fitzwallace. 
as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on the West Wing. Really? Yeah. That will always strike a note with me. But the, uh, the other part of it is I always felt like my best work has probably not been seen by one-tenth or one-one-hundredth of the television viewing public. And you say, how's that? Well, my best work, I felt, was done on stage uh, and has been done on stage. And if I should continue to uh, work as a, a working actor, will be done on stage because I, I'm very, very selective about the work that I do on stage. I know going in that it's not a financial move because you work like a non-union mule for the better part of a month in rehearsals, and you're lucky if the show goes up in a major venue if you last two or three weeks. So it's really, uh, it's really an investment of tremendous energy and time, and and passion, because you love the the author's words, you love his work, and I've been fortunate in that I've been able to do theater that I love to do, i.e. the works of August Wilson. Um, I I'm always intrigued by those plays that I really have doubts if I can master and handle the amount of dialogue. And August Wilson wrote some incredibly long and involved and convoluted monologues and some tremendously important plays. I think he won two Pulitzer Prizes, so you know the quality of the writing is there. And the plus, the big plus for me as an actor is I get to rehearse for a month in some cases for two or three weeks at least. Like when I did uh, Shakespeare in the Park for the late Joe Pat, an incredible cast that he had assembled. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jeff Jeff Goldblum, uh, the, the, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Every actor who was an actor wanted to work for Joe Pratt and do his Shakespeare in the Park. And I did, and it was a great experience. So, as I said, my best work has been done on stage, but I'm appreciative of the opportunities I've had in film and TV. Yeah. If you ask me who are my favorite actors to work with, I've had the pleasure of working with Denzel on stage and in film uh, and if you think he's a wonderful actor in film, you should see him on stage sometime. Mm-hmm. It's electrifying. So I've had the pleasure of working with him, uh, an Academy Award winner, and just a just an all-around good person. Uh, he's an incredible actor. So uh, each time I've worked with him, I, I've been appreciative of how blessed I am to be in this business. All right. Well, John, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I, I know our audience is, is going to enjoy this, and I appreciate you taking the time. I thank you so much. So have a great day. And a big thank you going out to John Amos for joining us here at On Screen to Be On. Apologize for the bad audio there. The uh, Sometimes when, you know, people are using cell phones to do the interviews, it, it just doesn't work very well, and you, you, it's hit or miss. You never know. So I apologize for that, but I hope you enjoyed it anyways. And John's a great guy for joining us here and sharing all his memories and everything else. And uh, if you have a suggestion for a guest here at On Screen or Beyond, email it to me at feedback at onscreenorbeyond.com. Love hearing from you. We are, it seems like every week we just keep growing and growing and growing and more people. So tell a friend. That at onscreenandbeyond.com, they can find all kinds of celebrities, musicians, just so many other things there. Uh, just check it out. All sorts of stuff to do at onscreenandbeyond.com. And you can email it to me. I'll try to get your favorite person on right here so you can hear him. Well, it's almost the uh, Thanksgiving time here in the U.S., so uh, we want to get everybody ready for that i'm going to be stuffed this week i'm sure 
And I uh, hope that uh, you're going to be joining me next week because we're going to have another great guest coming your way. And, and then uh, I'm in the works to get uh, some very special guests here in the next few weeks. Uh, we've been talking back and forth, and it looks like we may get these people. So uh, I hope it works out. But anyways, uh, be sure to keep listening, tell a friend, and that's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zimrak. Take care. <music>